Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
Clarissa, thank you so much. We're going to talk today about powerful secrets of financial success. I'd like you to take the Bible that you'll find in the pew, which is the New International Version. We want to give a welcome today to our viewers on television, but especially a welcome to you who are sitting here with us this morning. I'd like you to take, please, the copy of the New International Version. We have, I think, sufficient copies in the pews for every person. As we talk about great, powerful, spiritual secrets of financial success, how you may open the windows of heaven. And I'm told this is a subject that is dear to the hearts of my American friends. And I would think, Larissa, it should also be dear to the hearts of our Russian friends too. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And the topic that I'm going to give today, I have presented before a vast audience in Russia. That is a, a country whose economy has basically collapsed. I believe that what we're going to tell you today not only will work in America and Australia, but will work wherever people believe it. Would you please take your Bible and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, and it's page 144. And if you want to use your own copy of the Bible today, that's just fine with us, whether it's the King James Version or the New International Version. But we do want you to feel relaxed and happy today. And we would like each of you to follow each of the passages if you would like to do so, because that will give you the greatest benefit. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 28, and you'll notice it says here, blessings for obedience. Now these words were spoken by God through his servant to the children of Israel. I'm going to suggest to you today that these words that seem to be so abundant and so amazing can work for you and work for me. If this is so, this is extraordinary and amazing good news. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1 and onwards. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. We could say today, your computers and your motor cars, everything. This is true. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed, your microwave. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. That's what some people think after they've gone to a boring church service. They were blessed when they came in, but they were doubly blessed when they went out. We trust it'll not be so with you today. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out, but blessed not because you're going out, but blessed because the blessing you got while you're in. Verse 7, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come with you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. We would say, uh, if you have seven attorneys who are after you, 
or seven people from the IRS or the IRA. I could never find out quite the difference. I'm only learning. That's a sincere comment. I've, sometimes I've spoken about the people who take our taxes because I'm new to this country and on one occasion I said how the IRA collects our taxes. They said, you may be right. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on what? On oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in all his ways. This is an amazing blessing. Of course these words originally were not spoken to the American people to order any people living today. These words were spoken by God through Moses to the children of Israel. And God said to the children of Israel, I'm going to make you the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a wonder and an amazement to all the people who live around you. God said in other places, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. I'm going to bless you when you come in and I'm going to bless you when you go out. When your enemies come against you, I'm going to so bless you that your enemies are going to flee from you. God said, I'm going to say this to you and I'm not just going to say it to you in a light way. God said, I'm going to say it on an oath. I would suggest to you, when God says anything on an oath, you and I ought to listen up and take notice. Now, I have something quite amazing to tell you. While these promises were made anciently to the children of Israel, now wait till you hear this, because if this is true, the conclusions from what I'm going to say are quite startling. And they will affect you in a most remarkable way. I believe that these promises were given to the ancient children of Israel. But I'm going to suggest to you that with the failure of the children of Israel to accept the Messiah, I believe that these promises now are given to every true believer in Christ who also obeys the word of God. Now that is, don't just say amen to that lightly because hear me through what I'm saying. I'm going to suggest to you today that God raised up a people and I'm going to suggest to you that because of their failure to obey the word of God, as a nation the blessings were taken from them. I'm not talking as individuals, but I'm talking as a nation under God. But I believe that these promises will be fulfilled and are being fulfilled in the new Israel of God. And so I want to tell you today how you can be an Israelite, how you can be a true child of God, and how you can have these tremendous blessings that God promised to his people in the long ago. Would you come over now to Romans chapter 9 verses 6 to 8. Romans chapter 9 and verses 6 to 8. Romans chapter 9 it is and verses 6 to 8 is page 801 and that is in the New Testament and these words were written by one of the greatest children of God that this world has ever seen 
by the great Apostle Paul. Uh, the book of Romans is one of the greatest books that the human mind has ever conceived or realized, inspired, of course, by God. Romans chapter 9 and verses 6 down to 8, page 801. Is this okay? Are you folks keeping up? Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and onwards. It is not as though God's word had failed. Remember this. Please listen. Would you please do something for yourself and for me? Please read this verse. Just, just this line. One, two, three. It is not as though God's word had failed. You don't need to read any more for a moment. The Bible says it is not as though God's word has failed. I want you to know this. God's word does not fail. And the promises of God are absolutely certain. Now sometimes we may misunderstand the promises of God. And sometimes we may act in such a way so that God cannot bless us. But the Bible says it is not as though the word of God had failed. God's word and God's promise to you today certainly will not fail. Now please read on. It is not as though God's word had failed. For, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now that's interesting. Not because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children. Don't forget that. It is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Listen to me. The Bible says that God raised up a great nation. But the Bible goes on to say, don't think it is your physical ancestry that determines your heritage. I want you to know that. It is not your nationality that is going to determine your fate. And the Bible said of the children of Israel, not just because they are literal descendants of Abraham are they the children of God, but the children of the promise. Now these are the words. Please notice it because I want this to sink into your minds. Verse 8, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of what? The promise who are what? Regarded as Abraham's offspring. You today can be considered by God one of Abraham's offspring if you are a child of the promise. And if you are considered one of Abraham's offspring, then the promises that God made to the children of Israel, if you are one of his offspring, those promises are certain for you. If this is true, if this is true, then this superlative, almost overwhelming promise of Deuteronomy can be fulfilled in your life today. If you are a true child of, of God, if you are a child of the promise, and if you obey the word of God. This is what we're talking about today. I want you to come over now to Matthew 21, and you'll see why it works this way. Matthew chapter 21. This may answer some questions that have come in. I want you to come to page 698. <coughs> and Jesus here is speaking to his people. And I, I'd like you to turn to page 698. 
698 uh, on the left-hand page, and it is the right-hand column, page 698, verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. What do you think this is talking about? Who is the son who was sent here? And, and who are the, the servants that were sent and beaten up and despised? They were the prophets of the Bible. And so here Jesus is describing the history of his own nation. He's describing the history of the great Israelite nation. Because God sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. And then finally God sent his own son. So read on please. Verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw, threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to whom? Other tenants who will give him his, now read this with me, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said, God's going to get rid of the old tenants and God is going to get some new tenants. Did you read this? Isn't this what it says? God said, I'm going to get rid of those old tenants and I'm going to get some new tenants and those tenants are going to give me a share of the harvest. And then he said, I'm going to bless them. Now verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes? Therefore, now this verse is a very important verse, verse 43. Jesus said, and he's talking now to the, the leaders of the church in his day, Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. Now, do you understand what, what Jesus is saying here? Jesus here is talking about his kingdom and he's talking about the children of Israel. And he talks about the time how God sent prophet after prophet and they beat him up. And then at the very end, God sends his own son. But they don't accept the son. They take the son and they throw him out of the vineyard and they kill him. Then Jesus said these words. And this caused a furor. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you. And given to a nation that is going to produce the fruits of the kingdom. And when he said this, there was an uproar. You know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying this, that the king, now please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say now, but I, I want you very carefully to consider this. God had a chosen people in the Old Testament. God made promises to the chosen people. 
And the word of God cannot fail. Just remember this, the word of God doesn't fail. God made promises to the chosen people. But the chosen people did not fulfill the conditions of the covenant. They took the Son of God and they crucified him. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and it's going to be given to another nation. And the question is, what is the other nation? Because I want you to know today that God has got a new nation on the face of this earth. And all the great promises that God gave to that first nation are going to be fulfilled to his new nation if they abide faithful to God, if they have true faith in Christ, and if they obey his word. Now the question we need to come to now, where do we find the new nation? Is it the United States of America? Is it Great Britain? What is the new nation? Come over here to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, it's page 825, and it tells us who the new nation is. Page 825, Galatians chapter 3, 825 on the right-hand page and the left-hand column. Uh, dear people, up towards the top of the page, and it is 825, Galatians chapter 3, where it says, Sons of God. Now, I'd like you all to read this out loud with me, verses 26 down to 29. When I say 3, then we, we start together. One, two, three. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Therefore, what is the new kingdom? Is the new kingdom that God has raised up, is it the United States? Is it Great Britain? Uh, there, there is a theory that is called British Israelitism. It's believed by many, many people. I don't believe it for one moment. I believe it's, it's just false. The teachers that the descendants of the, of the, of the children of, of, uh, of Britain are, are the true people of God. And if you want to find the, the true Israel of God, you've got to find the Anglo-Saxon tribes around the world. This is called British Israelitism. It is believed by multitudes, particularly in the United States of America. There's one problem with it. It just isn't true. It's a false idea. The Bible says it doesn't matter who you are if you belong to Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a black person or a white person or a red person or a yellow person or a brown person or something or somewhere in between. The Bible says if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So where do we find the true nation of God today? This is the question that we need to resolve. Where do we find the true nation of God? We find the true nation of God in every nation. We find the true nation of God among the Russian people. We find the true nation of God among the Croatian people. 
We find the true nation of God among the American people and the British people and the Australian people and the French people and the German people. And you can go on and on and on whenever, listen to this, whenever a person truly comes to Christ. I'm not talking just a lot of religious hype. I'm talking coming in sincerity. When a person truly comes to Christ and believes the word of God, then God says, you are my child and you are part of my new kingdom. And if this is so, if God's true children out of every different nation, kindred, tribe and people, if they are the true Israel of God and the children of Israel too, the Jewish people, if a Jewish person comes to Christ and if he confesses Christ, and if he obeys the word of God, he becomes a true Israelite. And so the true Israelites are the people who make up the true kingdom of God, whether they are physical Jews or whether they are physical Gentiles, it makes not one little bit of difference to our great God because he considers every person, whatever his racial background, to be a true Israelite, a part of the true kingdom of God and a part of his true nation. When that person is in Christ. If that is so, this is pretty powerful stuff. Because it tells me that these great promises that God made to the ancient children of Israel are mine today if I will believe in true faith and if I will obey the word of God. But remember this, the Bible said, that God would bless his people if they had faith and that that faith was demonstrated by obedience. Um, let us think now of these words that we read in Deuteronomy 28. Now just think about this. I don't believe, let me cl clear this up before we go any further. I don't believe in what is called in popular theology the prosperity gospel. What's the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel says this, you name it, number one, you name it, number two, you claim it, and number three, you frame it. The prosperity gospel says, when you become a true believer in God, you're going to become a millionaire, particularly if you send money to a television ministry. Now you've all heard this. I'm today, I'm not talking about what I consider to be the cheapest and the most carnal affront to the Bible that you can find anywhere. That is why so many intellectual people have given up on Christianity because they say so many of the people who are involved in it are simply charlatans who are after money. And that may be so. But while I do not believe in the prosperity gospel, I believe in the promises of God. And I believe that the promise that we read in Deuteronomy where God is going to bless you when you come in and God is going to bless you when you go out and God is going to bless the fruit of your womb and God is going to bless you in the kitchen and God is going to bless you in the workplace and God is going to bless you in health and strength and God is going to bless you so he's going to keep disease from you. And God is going to help you to live longer and enjoy life to the full. I believe that is the heritage of the children of God today. And I believe 
that every person here today can be the head and not the tail and be mightily blessed by Almighty God if we will obey the conditions. And the Bible says, I'll bless you. But God says, if you obey my word. And so these tremendous promises are for you today. But the Bible says, believe in Christ and obey the word. Now you may say today, what is so important about obedience? So many people just say to you, just have faith in Jesus and do what you like. The Bible teaches, my friend, a combination of faith in God and obedience to his word because true faith is always shown by obedience. Now all of you here today, I imagine, have heard the story of the man who was pushing the wheelbarrow on a, on a rope across Niagara Falls. Have you heard that story? If you haven't, I'm glad. If you have, just be quiet. <laughs> and he was about to push, I don't even know who it was. All my stories are true. But this one, I only think it is. And he was going to push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And there was a great crowd of people there. People love something sensational. And he said, who believes that I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? And uh, most people thought he could do it. But one man down the front was the most outstanding in his positive remarks. He said, I've got great confidence in you. I've seen what you've done before. I believe that you can do it. He said, you really believe I can push this wheelbarrow across the falls? He said, I believe it. He said, you truly believe it? He said, yes. He said, then hop up and get in the wheelbarrow and you'll be the first one I push across. <laughs> now, what is faith? Let's talk about what is faith. Faith is trusting in God. When the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, the Egyptians were behind them and the water was in front of them. Where were they going to go? The Egyptians were behind them with swords and spears. And there were the, the rolling waves of the Red Sea. You know what God said to those people back there? You know what he said? God said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Mm -hmm. That's faith. He said, tell the children of Israel to go and get their, their feet wet. God didn't say, when, when I open up the Red Sea, then you just go through. God said, you walk into the water. And when you walk into the water, then watch what I will do. Amen. Now before God opens up the Red Sea, and before God does anything marvelous in a person's life, God says, get your feet wet. Get into the wheelbarrow. Now God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the head. I'm not going to make you the tail. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in every way that you can imagine. But God says, get into the wheelbarrow. And God says, get your feet wet and have faith in God. God's blessing is in proportion to the obedience of his children. I want you to come to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Isaiah Chapter 1, it's page 484, page 484, book of Isaiah, chapter 1. It is the left-hand page, it is also the left-hand column of what is called the Gospel Prophet, 
Isaiah chapter 1 and verse, you turning to the passage, can you read in English yet? Larissa, when I met her a couple of years ago, she couldn't speak one word of English, uh, but now she's talking English and reading from an English Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, page 484, Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 18, 19, left-hand page, left-hand column. Come now, what does God say? Now that ought to do every person good here. God is a reasonable God. God does not want you to believe blindly. God never says, just go ahead and do it. God is a reasonable God. When God gives us evidence upon which to build our faith, then God expects us to obey Him. But God is a reasonable God. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is what we call the gospel. God says here, even though you've messed up your life, even though your sins are as red as scarlet, I'm going to make them as white as wool. I'm going to make them as white as snow. And so here you've got the tremendous promise of God's grace and the gospel. And then the next verse is the follow-on from the gospel. This is the fruitage of the gospel. Verse 19. If you are, what does it say? If you are willing and obedient, you will eat what? You'll eat the best from the land. So just, just hold on there, Steve. God says this. If your sins are like scarlet, I'll make, you I'll make your life as white as snow. This is the gospel. This is the grace of God. God says, even though you've made a terrible mess of things, I'll make you as white as snow. I'll make you as white as wool. That's the gospel. That's the grace of God. And so there you have the good news. But in the next verse, listen to this. You have the fruitage of the good news. You have the, the product of the good news. And the product of the good news is, if you obey me, you'll eat the best of the land. And so here you have, number one, the story of the good news. That God says, I'll forgive your sins. And number two, God says, now, after I've forgiven your sins, if you will obey me, you're going to get the best. And so God says, I'm going to bless you and I'll bless you in ways that you can never fully appreciate, but you've got to get your feet in the water and you've got to get into the wheelbarrow. Uh, I, I want to tell a story here about the Russians and Larissa is not going to be embarrassed because she knows that this is true. The Russian people are some of the finest people on the face of the earth. I've had the privilege in the last 24 months of baptizing more than 5,000 precious Russian souls in the Volga River. I know thousands of Russian people. I know some of the leaders of the Russian people. I admire them and I respect them. I hold them in the highest regard. Russia was once one of the great economies of the world it made the United States of America tremble. And if anything goes wrong with Russia in her experiment with democracy, don't count Russia out. She is still a mighty power. She's got enough weapons to destroy the earth 20 times over. Russia is a strong nation. 
It is a sad thing when you go to a nation whose economy has virtually collapsed. Norm Matiko told me just the other day that the, the Russian ruble, that when I went to Russia for the first series of meetings in Moscow, just over three years ago, the ruble was trading at seven rubles to the dollar. When I went there a number of years before then, Norm, the ruble was worth, one ruble was worth a dollar thirty. You think of it. To buy a ruble, a dollar thirty. When we were there a few months ago, the ruble was trading at 1,900 rubles to the dollar. And last week, Norm told me, it went to 4,000 rubles to the dollar. Never have the idea that a great currency can't collapse. Never have the idea that things cannot change and change quickly. I believe that we're going to see tremendous changes in this world and they're going to come to pass very, very quickly. And so when I went to Russia, while they are a proud, independent people, they're, they're the, the most independent people I've met. I went to Russia in the midst of a winter three years ago and saw people standing on the streets in the city of Gorky and Nizhny Novgorod, standing in the snow, beautiful women, beautiful, beautiful hairstyles, and I thought they were dressed beautifully with beautiful leather boots, standing in the snow, uh, queued up, lined up for, for hours to buy a little piece of fish. And uh, I did something that perhaps was not very diplomatic, but I, I didn't know Larissa then, and she doesn't know what happened. But I was there with Leonard Fundo, the grandson of the founder of the KGB, who, who was my translator. I said, Leonard, why don't we just buy all of the fish in the truck and give it to the people? And so we did that. And then Leon had, uh, had the job of distributing the fish to the people. It's very, very hard to give a piece of fish away to our little Russian babushka. That's a grandmother. They said, we don't want it. We'll pay for our own fish. We don't need your help. Some of the younger women took it. <laughs> uh, but they are a proud, independent, good people. But when you go to Russia today, you see what once was a mighty economy and it's in a shambles. You know why? Because the, the leaders of that nation did the very opposite what the Bible says. The Bible says, have faith in Jesus and obey the commandments of God. It does, doesn't say, have faith in Jesus and do what you like. There are laws in this book. And God has given the laws in this book not to take anything from us, but because the laws that are found in this book, my American friends, are laws of life and liberty. Amen. And the Russian leadership, because they were communists and atheists, they, they got rid of the Bible. And they tried to get rid of God. And they tried to get rid of Jesus. And they, and they ground those people down into poverty. And the Russian nation today is a fault, no, not a faltering, it is a destroyed economy. You know why? Because the people there did the very opposite of what I'm telling you to do today. When I spoke over there in 1992, Larissa, when we first met, and you sang when we had the first appeal for people to come forward, I remember you standing at the back and you sang, Just As I Am. 
And I remember you well because on that occasion you were so nervous. But you sang beautifully. A young man, thousands of people came forward that day, 10,000 Russians, mainly atheists, came forward to give their lives to Jesus and to accept the Bible. And in that company there was one young man who took everything from this book literally and seriously. When I went back to Russia a year later, now you can laugh at this and you can say That's, that doesn't happen, it couldn't happen in Russia, uh, these things don't work. After, when, I, when I got off the train, I was met by a young man with his wife and two little children and his face was shining. And he said, I have come because uh, I don't want you to go with the other people. I want you to come in my car. Now don't laugh at this. It is, I'm not saying these things happen to everybody, but I'm telling you that if people obey God, we can expect to see dramatic changes in people's lives. He met me with a Mercedes Benz. I said, where did you get that? I said it through the translator. He said, didn't you tell us that if we had faith in Jesus and obeyed the word of God and broke with socialism and the welfare system and rolled up our sleeves and worked and had faith in God that God would bless us? I said, yes. And to myself I said, but I didn't expect this much. I said, how on earth did you get this car? He said, After, he said, isn't it true what you were telling us? I said, yes, it certainly is. He said, isn't socialism wrong? I said, it's a curse. Can I say this to the American people? Don't get mad with me, but I'm going to tell you something. These nations, like Russia, have seen the complete futility of socialism and the welfare state. You know how it works in Russia? Well, they say, we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. That's the system. We pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. And nobody can lose a job because, well, how can you lose a job under socialism? The government employs everybody and the government gives every person a handout. And so people have lost their initiative and this proud, noble nation has become a nation of people on the whole who don't know how to work anymore because they're used to taking money from Moscow. Can you see a parallel? It has been said that the United States of America, while Russia and these other nations have seen the complete futility of socialism, that we in this nation have become the last bastion of communistic thinking in the world. And what are we doing? What has happened to this great nation? Why is this nation losing its power and its pride and its independence? It's because big government. Big government, more government, more bureaucrats, more welfare, more handouts. And what are we doing? We are making a race of weaklings. I want to tell you, if you truly believe in the American dream and if you believe in the faith of your fathers, you'll be saying, I'm not going to go this way. I'm going to stand on my own two feet and I'm going to be independent and I'm going to serve God. That's what we ought to be saying. This is the American dream. This, I tell you, 
This is what made America the greatest nation in the world. And when America gives up on, on those great fundamental principles that are based on the Bible, America will go the same way as Russia. And the dollar, it'll be trading against the German mark, maybe for 4,000 to a mark. We say it can't happen. It can't happen. It's happened before in history. Don't think that we are a chosen nation. We are not a chosen nation. The chosen nation is everywhere, my friend. It's everywhere. What am I trying to say to you folks today? I'm not trying to offend you, and I know some of these things are strong things. I am standing up for what I believe is the truth. And I'm saying to you, we need to follow the Word of God and we need to put our trust in the principles of the Word and not in big government in Washington or Moscow or London. You can't say Canberra because we don't even have a big country to have a big government, but it's too big there. Let me give you some truths, some great truths about God. I want you to come over here, please. I want you to come over here to uh, Psalm 24 and verse 1. Psalm 24 and verse 1. Psalm 24 and verse 1. I know some folks come to me and they say, it'd be better for you to leave some stuff out. Well, I'm sorry, it, it's in, and on occasions it just gets out, and it gets out before I know what's happened. Page 392. Psalm 24, verse 1. I want you to say verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. Now just verse 1. Together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owns the world? God does. Come over here to Psalm 50. This is a text on the sovereignty of God. Psalm 50, page 404. Uh, Psalm 50 verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, from Zion perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Verse 9, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and all the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Who owns everything? I've got a very dear friend who uh, is the president of Three Angels Broadcasting Network, Danny Shelton. And when Danny gets on a plane, because Danny is filled with the faith of the Bible, he wants to share it with people. That's pretty hard to do. But Danny... Whenever he sits down in the plane, he wants to share his faith with somebody. And uh, he was sitting down the back, and a man came and sat beside him. Danny described him as 350 pounds of ugly. That's a pretty strong thing to say. But this man is a famous wrestler. He said he got down, he had these big knuckle busters on, and he was put in first class, but something had happened. And he'd been bumped and he was sitting down the back. And so this man got in and sat, Danny said, 350 pounds of ugly. And uh, Danny tried to talk to him. He said, where are you going? He said, Mrr. He said, uh, I'm Danny Shelton. I'm the president of 3ABN. 
like to get acquainted. He said he could do nothing at all. And so he tried, he tried, but nothing worked. But he kept just trying to put in a little word, try to be friendly to this man who was in a real bad mood. And as they were flying along, the man looked up and Danny said, See out the window? Mm. He said, My father owns all that. He said, Now this got his attention. He said, You must be very, very wealthy. He said, I am. He said, Who's your father? Oh, he said, You know what he told him, don't you? He said, Jesus is my father. And he said, I'm a child of the king and he owns all of this. I want you to know this today. God owns the world. And when you become a child of the king, then the Bible says you are the richest person in the world. I want you to come over now to Deuteronomy. You liked that, did you? Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Then I'm going to show you the greatest text of the lot on this subject. Page 132. Page 132, 132, the left-hand page, the left-hand column. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. God says, I have the ability to give you the mental ability to make wealth. I have the grace to give you the strength to do that what you need to do. And God says, if you obey my word, I will fulfill my covenant to you. Now come over now to Malachi. And there you come to one of the, the great fat texts in the Bible. Page 676. Then I'm going to show you how it really works. Page 676. Where it talks about robbing God. Page 676. It's the last page of the Old Testament. Almost. Second last page of the Old Testament. Come over here to page 676, Malachi chapter 3, and verse 6 and onwards. And then we're going to read one of the greatest texts in the Bible. You folks ready? 676. Malachi 3, verse 6, down the bottom of the page on the right-hand column. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open, what? The floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops 
and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now listen to this. Now we're getting close to your hearts. Listen. God says, I would like to open up the floodgates of heaven for you. But God says, with some of you, I can't even open up a tiny little faucet. God says, I want to bless you. I want to make you the head and not the tail. I want to bless you when you come in. I want to bless you when you come out. And God says, there's a problem here. Here is the problem. You're stealing from me. And the people say, how on earth could we steal from you? God says, you're stealing from me. You're stealing tithes. That's the tenth. You're stealing the, the tithe that belongs to me and you're stealing the offerings. And then God says, I want you to bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and test me in this, he says, test me and I'll open the windows of heaven and I'll pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough to receive it and God says, I'm even going to bless your trees. I'm going to bless you, your, your fruit. I'm going to bless your crops. God says, have faith in me and have obedience and I'll bless you. Now let me tell you some stories. Let me tell you some stories. And these are true stories. I mentioned this over in the Pasadena Civic, this first story. And these folks may even be watching this telecast. A Garwin and Mary Lee McNeilis, who live up in the land of perpetual spring. That's Minneapolis. And uh, Garwin and Merrily, when they started out as a young married couple, had no money. He was a trench digger, and she kept the books. Didn't need to keep many books, I imagine. Garwin decided that, and his wife Merrily, because they're earnest, good people. When I, I met them, I was very much impressed with them because while God has blessed them with lots and lots of assets, they're very humble, nice, decent people. They're not toffs, as they say in England. They're not stuck up. They're just nice, decent, beautiful people. And Merrily looks wonderful too. Uh, now, Garwin decided with Merrily that they were going to fully obey God's word. And they started to obey God's word. And as God blessed them, and as money came in through the blessing of God, they returned a systematic amount to God. I wish you could hear their story, because nobody can tell a story like they can tell how God has blessed them. If you look around Los Angeles and you see all the concrete trucks, those big trucks that are used on, on the site of all of the construction sites, Gowan and Merrily own 97% of that business in the United States and in Canada. And if you look at the dumpsters that come and pick up all our garbage and all our rubbish, they own 50% of that business. He told me just recently, he said, we, we've, I know it's been a recession, but we haven't slowed down. We've got a backlog of 3,000 trucks, I think he told me. 3,000 trucks. I said, why is it so? He said, all I can say is we have put God first and we have, we've even taken money that 
for instance, retirement money that we, we put aside for our retirement and we saw a, a, a desperate need in God's work and we put it into God's work and God sent it back to us, much more so 